I am the movie guy. I have the movie podcast. You have nothing personal. Congratulations. We both have podcasts. We'll support each other. That's it. Support Cinephile, Dave. You don't have to be a dick about it. Miranda assembles his songs around hooks rather than melodies, and you don't go home humming the tunes so much as savoring the riffs. The snappy beauty salon gossip fest, No Me Diga. The moving love song, When You're Home. The sweltering celebration of Carnaval del Barrio. All course the lifeblood of a place and a people. Let's tie Burr a Boston Globe. Our feature review this time is In the Heights here on Cinephile. A pleasure to have all of you with us. Seriously, I, I am so grateful to the Levitard Army. I don't know how we did it. I saw number three on the film and TV charts, only behind, I believe, the Office podcast and the Rewatchables. Great episode they did on Goodfellas, by the way. So I cannot thank all of you enough. Subscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe, do what you gotta do, spread the wealth. This is amazing. And today, we're going to have Scott Rogowski on talking about Ned Beatty's untimely passing, the star of Deliverance and so many other great films, Network, of course. And I just rewatched The Verdict, one of my favorite movies, Sidney Lumet, David Mamet, Paul Newman, 39th anniversary. I get tired of people always doing, you know, round numbers. Why does it have to be a 40th anniversary? Why can't I do the 39th anniversary of The Verdict? So we're going to do that today, along with In the Heights, which is the feature film we're talking about. Cody, how are you doing? Seriously, number three, film and TV. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We did it, Adnan. Look at us. I, I don't know how we did it. Like, I, I, your army, I will just bow down to the Levitard army. Even the people I don't like, like David Sampson, I don't know how the hell they're involved with the party, but hey, if it's number three, then that's good news for us. So um, let's kick it off. Like I said, let's talk about In the Heights and get into it and the, the buoyancy and the effervescence. Hello? Hello? Is this Thursday? <laughs> Hello? Oh what, what are you doing here, Adnan? Are, are you kidding David said, no, no, listen, dude, come on. I got the wrong damn Zoom link. <sighs> listen, listen, <laughs> listen. No, listen. First of all, I don't know how the hell you're on this call right now. What, you went to the, the wrong Zoom link? Dave, I like you. I've done your podcast. I think personal support it. Awesome. Congrats on the World Series. This is my podcast. Like, go do your thing. I got mine. Like, we're good. Okay? We're, we're friends. And uh, can I just explain why I'm here? Sure. Because this is actually what I do. So I've been on the pirate ship way before you got there. You're like an appendage. You're like the howling pig in deliverance, right? That you're just sort of coming on board, finding extra work. Levitard needed to find work for Cody. So he's dragging your ass up to number three. That's true. Listen, I thought this was the local hour, I just, so I, I don't really need no, to stick around. Listen, I understand that you're bitter. I understand that you're petty. I understand that you're jealous. That's fine. I'm the movie guy. I have the movie podcast. You have nothing personal. Congratulations. We both have podcasts. We'll support each other. That's it. Support Cinephile, Dave. You don't have to be a dick about it. I think the best way to support it is just by being here and staying now that I think about it. Okay, because... all right, let's put that test out there. Does Samson actually give us a boost? We were number three film and TV podcast without David Samson. Will the star power, will the uh, acumen of David Samson lift us to number two? Do you know how the algorithm works that the newest party member gets the higher ranking? Are you aware of that? No, no, we're no, not no. worried about that. We're not worried about that. We're taking our victory and we're, <laughs> we're taking a big long lap. Get your algorithms out of here, okay, Samson. Don't spoil our party. God, I can't believe Samson's. You know, Cody, I can't get this. And hey, why am I mad at Dave? David's done nothing wrong here. He's fine. He thought it was, it was the wrong Zoom link. He thought it was thirsty. This is your for fault, 50 Cody. 50 million bucks, Adnan. For 50 million, I would think that Metalark could afford two goddamn Zoom rooms. This is my Zoom room. 
That's the one thing Samson and I agree on. For $50 million, you guys can't afford your own Zoom link. Cody, you're doing to me what I did to the show. I was always sneaking out of the show, and all of a sudden, you're going to do this to me. Is that what this is? Oh, this- Samson one week, Stugatz once week, really? This is just the start, Adnan. Yes. Every oh. week, someone different. You never know. David Sampson, I'm, I got a bullpen. That's the way I'm looking at it. I got a bullpen of Levitard show people. Sampson might get the most innings, though. So wait, hang on. He's Josh Hader? He's rolled his Chapman? Like, what is he? He's spitting fire right away. Okay, interesting. Oh, I go multiple days in a row, and <laughs> I do a movie every single day. Do you do that? I, I, listen, I, I admit I am impressed by the volume of which you watch films, but I'm all about quality, not quantity. Like, fine, you're watching a movie every day, and I know you're watching good movies. But I'm watching the really important ones. For example, have you seen In the Heights? It's on HBO Max, now in theaters. Have you seen that, Samson? Yes, I have, because it's also streaming on HBO Max. I saw the play in England, as a matter of fact, (laughs) and I didn't, right? (laughs) I'm flexing that right now because... I, I don't want the Levitard army and all of the great loyal fans that you've now built in the last three days. I really don't want them to think that you have like cornering the market on movies and on culture and on intelligence. I just think that you're Adnan. So it's great. But like, yeah, I've seen in the Heights, obviously. Can you think of anything more insufferable than someone saying, have you seen in the Heights? And they answer, yes, I have. And I've seen the play. Like that, that is in essence why you are so reviled by so many people. You are aware of that, right? Wow. So listen, I appreciate this. Good luck getting above well, no, number no. three. Hang on a second. Now that you're here, no, hang on, Mr. Oh, I've seen the movie and the play. What the hell? And since you're here, Simpson, let's discuss the movie then, shall we? Hang on. Let's get into the movie, In the Heights. Let's discuss it. I, I think we need to because there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack. Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, released a very, very long statement regarding this movie. Yes. And you know, and we can't talk about the movie without talking about that. And I don't know if Cody's going to get upset, but it's a big deal what's happening. Lin-Manuel Miranda, when he wrote In the Heights, he hadn't done Hamilton yet. I didn't know who he was when I saw this. And I didn't fully understand it when I saw it, much like the first time Flex Alert I saw Hamilton. I didn't. I hadn't read the book. I hadn't re- seen the lyrics or listened to the music. So it took Flex Alert the second time I saw it. Are you kidding me? You saw Hamilton twice. What are you? Three thousand dollars you're spending on tickets here, Samson? Jeez, man. Let me. Would you see Springsteen on Broadway five times too? Congratulations. Only twice. Let me tell you something. This the, guy. The dinghy where I currently reside is pulled along by bricks. <laughs> Special bricks. <laughs> just, just have a home made of white marble. This is exactly what I'm picturing right now. All right, before we get into the movie, let's do the controversy first, which David is referring to, which is that people are upset within the Heights because he is not focusing on the Afro-Latin representation, the Afro-Latin experience. And that's what Miranda unleashed a very long statement, which David is referring to. And Sometimes, Dave, no matter what a guy does, and I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is a genius. I mean, brilliant guy. You've seen Hamilton twice. I saw it once. I can still appreciate his genius, how clever he is, how creative he is. But if you're trying to tell the story of a community, if you're so proud of where you're from in Washington Heights and you got Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans, this wonderful melting pot and all the different types of music, whether it's you know merengue, bachata, samba, bomba y plena, and you're ignoring the Afro-Latin experience, A part of me says, Dave, listen, I'm telling my story. I can't incorporate all that there is to tell, but I do recognize why people will be upset about it. So here we go. We're going to the third rail, and it didn't didn't take more than seven minutes of of your second Levitard pod. And and Lin-Manuel Miranda cast this movie with the director who directed um, Crazy Crazy Rich Rich Asians, by the way. John Chu. 
And you do go for the most qualified people, but you also go with a look and you go for a sound and then you go for a cast. What you're doing is you're putting together a cast of characters and the criticism he's getting, he didn't get criticism with Hamilton for not casting too many Hispanics. There were a lot of African-Americans in Hamilton. The criticism that he's getting is that in the Heights is Washington Heights in New York, which has a lot of dark-skinned black Dominicans, and there weren't enough of them in lead roles, not as backup dancers. And people, I guess, are disappointed thinking that, hey, he would have and should have cast them even if they weren't good enough. That brings me back to baseball, where people want black managers, black general managers. But I worked with a black president of baseball operations, Michael Hill, and I worked with him for 18 years. And he would tell you today he wants to get his job because he deserved that job. He doesn't want to get a lead role in an organization because of the color of his skin, but he doesn't not want to get it. So do you really think that Lin-Manuel Miranda during the casting had a dark-skinned Latino and a non-dark-skinned Latino and made a conscious decision no. that I am going to go with this light-skinned? I don't believe that. No, I don't think so either. But I understand within communities why people get frustrated and they go, oh, what a surprise. Vanessa, who is the romantic lead, is a light-skinned Latina. Um, and, and the darker-skinned Dominican is a less stronger character. She's not the real romantic love interest. I, I do recognize why people are frustrated. But I'm with you, Dave. I don't think Lin-Manuel Miranda is consciously trying to omit that experience. So what I didn't like about his apology, he had to do it. Right. So that's the bottom line. There's too much invested in the movie. There's too much invested in his next projects that he cannot get canceled, right? He's got to respond. But in that response, I wanted him to show his merits of what he's done for the Latin community and the black community. One of the greatest champions of the community in Broadway and in movies is Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I hope that people don't lose sight of that. Well said. As far as the movie itself, I think it was buoyant. It was effervescent. It's a celebration of not only Latin life, but just American life to the fullest. And it's got wonderful music wall to wall. In some ways, it was reminiscent to me of Do the Right Thing. Melting pot community, right? That's all about Bed-Stuy in 1989. Now, that was black, Italian, Jewish, Korean. This is specifically just Latinos. But that idea of hot summer, you know, blackout, uh, emotions are at high, full boil. In some ways, to me, it brought up the best of do the right thing was one of my all-time favorites. So I love do the right thing. And you, the melting pot that you're mentioning obviously doesn't appear in In the Heights because right. it's such a, a, a close-knit community that isn't the most – has never been celebrated that I've seen a movie like this doing it. And I was watching it, and I was thinking to myself, the music, the way of life, because I grew up in Manhattan. Right. And I grew up in a totally different Manhattan where when I saw an, a fire hydrant that was open – I was told, hey, don't go near that because there's going to be flooding, right? So it's just sort of a different perspective. <laughs> right. and, and, and I recognize the privilege of that. But when I watch a movie like that, I 
I long for that feeling of community because where I grew up in New York City, there was no community. The Upper East Side is not a community. It's a bunch of individuals who are living their own separate lives. And where Do the Right Thing and In the Heights intersect is showing a community. And it made me long for that. So I was thinking about that while watching the movie today. It's got rich wordplay, infectious grooves. Uh, you've got a matriarch, a Abuela Claudia, who everyone loves, the neighborhood's communal grandmother. Osnavi is the main character. Now, of course, he has one of the stores. He wants to go back to the Dominican Republic. He longs for that. He's in love with Vanessa, unable to consummate that relationship. But of course, a lot of this, when it comes down to, is the music, David. People are going to say, well, is the music good? Is it fun? How about just the wordplay? At one point, Osnavi describes his bodega as just another dime a dozen mom and pop stop and shop. I mean, it, remarkable. Just, I think, the level of the wordplay. And I think if you saw it in the theater, I think just the emotion of it would probably overwhelm you in a positive sense. You just want to get up in the aisle and start singing and dancing. But what I loved about watching on HBO Max was I had the subtitles on. I could appreciate just how strong the words were and how the lyricism of it. And I loved how much Spanish you put in. I thought that was really interesting. I actually watched it with subtitles too. And what I thought about Within the Heights is that was the mother of Hamilton. I could see Hamilton starting to be born in In the Heights with the hip hop, with the rhyming, with the rapping. And then what I also noticed is that Hamilton is so much better in terms of (laughs) not the story, in terms of how much better Lin-Manuel Miranda got at doing what he started to do. It's like going to watch Michael Jordan in North Carolina. Man, he's good. But then fast forward to winning the fifth and sixth title with the Bulls and you say, wow, that's a different level. So Hamilton is that. But I think everyone should see in the Heights so they can see where it all started. Once you go caption, it's tough to go back. I am a big fan of captions. I always thought that that would be something I wouldn't use till I'm 70 years old. I love captions with all TV now, except sports, basically. It's a fair point, Cody. You sound like my wife. I mean, I hate it, except for, like you said, with kids running around, I can't hear it, so I just put the captions on. But given a choice, I go without. But she's captions all the time. She's Team Chris Cody. Even if the kids are asleep, she is pro-captions. Samson, if given a choice, no children around, are you pro-captions or no? Oh, I thought you said given a choice, would you have no children around? (laughs) Yes, that would be my choice. By the way, one old school film reference, which Ty Burr pointed out in his review in the Boston Globe, was amazing. When Benny and Nina, it's one of my favorite scenes, they escape gravity and start twirling up the side of a building. I said, that can't be original. It's not. Fred has stared at that in Royal Wedding, if you want to go old school. And speaking of old school references, how to feel as well, Dave, a little bit of West Side Story, right? This one community teeming with authenticity. What's really interesting is this. We mentioned the controversy. It also was a disappointment financially. $12 million is all that it grossed. A Quiet Place Plight 2, over $60 million. Huge. Godzilla vs. Kong did great. Now, part of that is, okay, action movies, horror movies, and sequels built an audience. But In the Heights, as you and I know, has been everywhere. The marketing campaign's huge. Couple of potential reasons. You tell me which one you think it is. One, the runtime, two and a half hours. A little long. You go, man, that's a lot of time to commit to go to the movies. Movies are now open in America, 75% of places. Maybe musicals fall better in the fall slash winter, i.e. La La Land. The corroboration to that, though, is in the summer you had Mamma Mia, which was a huge hit musical as well. Also, here's my biggest reason, no star power. Those other films, Mamma Mia's got Meryl Streep. You know, you got Pierce Brosnan. La La Land's got Gosling, Emma Stone. This cast, there's no names. Lin-Manuel Miranda is the Paragua guy. He doesn't have, like, a starring role in the movie. Which one do you think it is? Why didn't this film make more money? Well, Mark Anthony does make a a cameo appearance, which scared me knowing him (laughs) as I do. He did not look the way I would like him to look, but maybe that was the part. Uh, But maybe he he just, it was a Tuesday. It's hard to know. (laughs) And uh, Jimmy Smits was in it. I love Jimmy Smits. 
But again, and, and, NYPD Blue is great, but it's not star power. Cody just asked, is HBO Max a factor? Excellent question. It is not. I read a review and they said, people think, oh, is the audience you know, bitten by the bug, so to speak, of streaming? Not true. They say, for example, Quiet Place 2 was available on streaming, did great, did great in box office as well. So that's actually not a reason, but good question, Cody. Go ahead, Dave. So my... <laughs> I can't believe, Cody, that you are creating this Frankenstein. First, you get him into Metal Arc. Then you get him manufacturing a third-ranked podcast. Now he's dismissing you like you are Levitard's personal assistant. It's really shocking. If you don't start controlling him, he's going to turn into Stugatz. You mark my words. That's what's going to freaking happen. Stugatz is strong in me. You're not supposed to say it. By, de- by definition of you saying that out loud, it means you don't even get it. Do it. That's what's even funnier. Do it in the playoffs. Why do you think In the Heights did not do well financially? God. Answer the question, Samson. I'm so distracted by all of this mess that I walked into. I don't even know how to save it. You need saving. It's, and I'm here for you, Adnan. It's your fault with the Zoom why. link, okay? Stay away from the <laughs> Zoom links. <laughs> I'm going to just Zoom in now every day at around this time and hope to see your mug right in the Zoom. (laughs) You're just here to taunt me and troll me. That's your job. Okay. That's going to be your role. Okay. So my reason, let me just quickly answer the question before you move on because it's important. It's a, it's a failure in that in the Heights is not a movie that should have had an expectation. It should not have had as big a budget as it had. It got that because of Lin-Manuel Miranda. $55 million budget. That's a lot of money. That's, this is not a $55 million movie. Right. That's the problem. Hmm. Fair point. If it was it, $20 million, no problem. $7 million movie. Yeah. Make it more like an independent film. It doesn't have many stars in it anyways. You're right. Lin-Manuel got the big budget. What are you doing? This is a, a fairly small niche audience. What are we doing? Uh, one more let's squeeze in here because I know you, I believe you also watch Those Who Wish Me Dead. In, in addition to these movies that you're watching once a day, also available on HBO Max, Angelina Jolie movie, is that correct? Yeah, I actually reviewed that on a podcast that I do, which is available wherever you find your podcast <laughs> called Nothing Personal. And I can get you the exact episode, Adnan, if you like. No. But I understand that you're a busy guy. I mean, you've got all these different jobs and now you're on this ship and you've got eye patches. So I don't blame you for asking me. Of course I saw that movie. It's Angelina Jolie. But I sort of wish I had. I was about to it, say, it's not a very good movie. I'm going to actually cede the floor to you. I thought it was a disappointing film through and through. I couldn't care less about the characters. I found it melodramatic. I found it plotting. I was shocked Taylor's Sheridan did it, who's a really good director who did Hell or High Water. I'm not as shocked Angelina Jolie did it because sometimes, listen, stars make bad movies. They take paychecks. I can't recommend this movie on any level. I, I didn't like it at all. You? No, it's a straight skip. I watched it so other people don't have to. <laughs> there are people who will just watch Angelina Jolie because she's Angelina Jolie. Yeah. That's not the case for me, even though it should be, but it's not. I thought with Sheridan, with Angelina Jolie, I love Nick Holt. Because yeah. I'm still, I think about warm bodies almost every day. <laughs> and I like the movie as well. But it just did not work. Not, there, no character worked in that entire, not even one character. Maybe the kid. Yeah, the maybe kid was, the kid. yeah, maybe the kid. The kid was okay, but you're right. It's really nothing to recommend. Uh, I do recommend checking out Nothing Personal with David Sampson, although I do not care for his attitude and his bullying condescension and somehow finding his way onto the pirate ship and onto my podcast. Um, you did acquit yourself well, Sampson. I will say this. For a guy who I didn't want here, your knowledge is excellent, and you do offer a role. I, I, I can't offer you a space back here, but I'm assuming Cody will find a spot for you. So I'll. <laughs> there, uh, that's just my evil laugh. How'd that go? <laughs> all right. Good luck the rest of the way. And f*** you all. Bye. <laughs>
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Get ready, guys and gals. It's time for Rags Time with Scott Rogowski. That's right. Rags Time is back. Scott Rogowski for... The uninitiated fans of Cinephile, Scott is my guy. We did a baseball show together called Change Up on the Zone. He's hysterical. He loves movies. And rather than me, you know, just throw flowers in his direction, I'm going to let Chris Cody do it. Chris, our producer, said to me, as I, I had thrown to him, listen, i got to get my buy rags on. We used to do a segment called Rags Time and Cinephile. He's awesome. Cody goes, I'm a huge fan. So, Cody, go ahead. Tell the audience. You're a big Scott Rogowski fan, bigger than I, I am. I mean, I remember playing HQ and being like, this guy has got a person. Like, I see why he's the host of this thing. I'm a, like, Me and my wife, we, we won 20 cents like 20 times. So we're big fans of Scott. 20 cents 20 times. That's... Uh... <laughs> That's more than a buck, I, know, I think. That's, what I'm not, that's, that's substantial. Congratulations on your winnings. I hope. Uh, I hope. I hope it, it didn't all go in one afternoon. Maybe. Maybe those headsets. Maybe that headphone. I put uh, it in Bitcoin. So it's doing all right right now. Oh God! I put it in Bitcoin. I should have been like Russell Okung and asking for my salary in Bitcoin. <laughs> Slow reference. Yes. Uh, before we get into what I really want to talk about, which is I rewatched The Verdict, which is one of my favorite movies, and Rags and I are both huge fans of Sidney Lumet, the great director, so much so whenever Denelson Lumet, the Padres pitcher, be on the mound, immediately Scott and I would talk about our favorite Sidney Lumet movies. So Scott has gone to the homework of watching The Verdict again, um, but we also want to go into, with Ned Beatty passing away, you rewatched Deliverance, which I applaud you for doing. That is not an easy watch. But first and foremost, lifelong New Yorker, Westchester guy, you moved to L.A. What has that been like? For a guy who's mid-30s, going from one coast to the other, I'm just curious, how has that assimilation been? Moved to L.A., Adnan, bought a Tesla, started three podcasts, shopping at Bonds, <laughs> wearing bands. You know, nothing's really changed. Uh, Hey, look, I, I've, I've, I'm settling in. It's been two months, and um, I did I did come here with a girlfriend and a job, and I lost both of those. So, uh, <laughs> a little adrift uh, on the West Coast, but you know what? It's it's I'm, I'm getting back to the dating game, man. man. And, well, I, and I'm not going to mention because there's a new lady in the picture, perhaps who I'm a big fan of. But I yeah. wanted to, she, she shares she shares your faith. Yeah, exactly. You you. Message me. You sent me a rare audio note. First time ever audio note. Just checking on the pronunciation of a fellow Muslim, and you're like, "Hey, who am I going to go to? I'll go to Verk. Verk will be there." And I was there for you, and she sounds lovely. May I say? Well, it's tough. She's 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 really nice. Um, her her name's Fatima, which is tough because I'm I'm a big nickname person, so I don't know what to. How do you nickname <laughs> Fatima? 
What do I call her? Fatty, fat ass. I don't know which way to go with it. The the audio note was simply, "Hey, uh, hey, um, I'm just curious. Is it is it Fatima? Is it Fatima? I'm like, I'm just I'm dating this Muslim girl, so just you know, give me a heads up." So I, as I, I then mess, and I don't even know how to do these things. I'm like, I hope you did the audio night properly. I'm like, it's technically pronounced Fatima. She probably just says Fatima, but don't call her Fatima. And now you're telling me you've gone from that direction to just calling her fatty. <laughs> Fat in the hat. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just coming up, I'm coming, I'm trying to come up with something that, 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 that's comfortable for me because I don't want to bend to, and yield to her culture. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I have to, exact my imperialism onto her so <laughs> i cannot wait i mean this is by the way i i don't want to get into touchy territory but I've, I've never heard a lot of jewish and muslim dating like i mean that's that's a unique so i, I, I unique. No, there's a long history of, of unity between the two i think there's um <laughs> I, I don't see you've been following the news lately i mean there's, I don't see how there's any, any red flags there good news is no pork in that house like that's right that. there's no swine anywhere okay no, no salami no salami just salam <laughs> That's the new name of this segment, Cody. It's no longer called Rags Time. No salami, just salam. That's what we got from now on. Let's dive into Ned Beatty. Okay, Ned oh. Beatty passes away, and I say to myself, oh, man, Homicide Life on the Street, one of my favorite shows growing up. He played Ned Bolander, Munch. The way he was always pissed off with Richard Belzer, who, as you know, great 80s comic. Munch. He's going through a bad divorce. He's this beaten-up Baltimore cop. He gave that show a lot of dramatic heft. You're like, wait, Homicide Life on the Street? Okay, Tom Fontana's the writer. Barry Levinson, of course, great director. And then just a cast of a bunch of guys. Andre Brower ends up becoming a star. Later won an Emmy Award. Was amazing as Pemilton. But Ned Beatty in the cast. Like, man, we got Ned Beatty. He was amazing as Bull in her first three seasons. Network, scene-stealing. <laughs> One scene. He's so funny. You will atone. I mean, I, I tweeted Oberman right away. He was all over. I mean, who doesn't love Network? But what <laughs> I love about you is you went to Deliverance. Okay, the film that it was his first film. This is his debut. Yeah, he, he was so upset by the amount of people who would yell at him, squeal like a pig. For those who are unaware, Ned Beatty is the victim of rape. He is raped by a backwoodsman in the movie, and one of the most frightening scenes ever. So for the rest of his life, people would see Ned Beatty. This guy's Lotso in Toy Story Three, and they're going, "Hey, squeal like a pig." He, he had read an article one day like, "Hey, this isn't funny. Male rape. This was his debut, and you watched it again." This was this was it was the first date too. It was uh, it's a good it's a, a good date flick. Um, the truth is, I I had never actually seen it all the way through. So for me, it was it was a first time watch. I'd seen the classic scenes, of course, right. but uh, no, I mean this movie has it all. You know, my first thought was that then like it's not Deliverance, it's DiGiorno. That 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 should have been. If that if that if DeJordan didn't tweet that the day Ned Beatty died, they missed out on a major opportunity. But listen, the music of Deliverance, right? Yeah. That first scene, when you see the kid playing that banjo and you go, what the hell is going on? This is some incestuous backwoodsman. They got no teeth, they're just freaky looking. Like that's one of the more haunting scenes ever in cinematic history. And it's all brought together by a banjo. Basically a horror movie. I didn't realize like how terrifying it would be. And, uh, you know, Ned Beatty, to his credit, like he brings the comic relief. I mean, I kept I kept thinking, but my, my favorite line of it is he's like, I got eaten alive last night. My bites has bites. I'm a salesman, Ed. Like he says, his line when he goes, I'm a salesman, Ed. Like, like that's, he can't have bug bites because he's a salesman. <laughs> what are these guys doing on this? They're going down this river. They don't have any food. They didn't bring any food for this trip. So the guy's got a bow and arrow. He's shooting fish trying to like shoot fish in the river. 
I mean, like they didn't bring, you know, uh, combos or Pringles or anything like not even like not even a cliff bar. Adnan. You go into the woods, you bring a cliff bar. But, but the, these, these guys have nothing. So I don't know how they survived this whole escapade with the mountain people. And I mean, you got John Voight, who was doing a great Carter impression. He's really got that, that Georgian accent down. Right. And Beatty, who looks like George W. Bush in his later years. He, I'm surprised he never, he never like did a George W. Bush biopic, but then did not survive to see the 50th anniversary, which you know you would have loved to see the replays of the rapes <laughs> over and over again. But could you imagine like, the rest of his life? I mean, he's literally uh, in the Champs-Élysées, okay? He's in Moscow. He's in Egypt. He's touring the pyramids. And people are yelling at him, hey, hey, Ned, squeal like a pig. Like, yeah. that's what you're known for. I really think I want to see a sequel to this movie. And I think here's, here's the plot of the sequel. Okay, Ned Beatty's character has the mountain man's baby. Okay? Like, it, 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 it's junior. It's the junior cinematic universe. <laughs> We basically take the cinematic image from Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger, so men can have babies now, and and Chubby delivers the baby. It's true deliverance. Oh my God, Junior! The fact that you worked in an Arnold Schwarzenegger Junior reference is unbelievable. You, met, you mentioned the music guy named the banjos was nice, but I think Proud Mary would have been a much better soundtrack choice. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling down the river. Man, if you haven't seen Deliverance, I hope that Rags has sold you on it. John Borman is the director. It is a classic coming up on the 50th anniversary. Rest in peace, the great Ned Beatty. Let's get into The Verdict. It's one of my all-time favorites, all right? Real simple story. It's a man in need of redemption. Alcoholic, ambulance-chasing Paul Newman. Let's do Lumet first. The opening shot, Rags, is so good. It's Paul Newman just shooting a little pinball. And Lumet said the... The motivation for it was this. He said, I don't know about you. Whenever you're depressed in life, I've said to myself, I go play pinball or I go, you know, have a game of some sort. And if I do well, I feel like, hey, this is the day my life's going to turn around. So that was the impetus for that first beautiful shot, just a slow pushing, dolling into a man in heavily shadowed, Paul Newman smoking, drinking, playing pinball, a lonely, depressed alcoholic. I find that shot so evocative and a wonderful way to start the film. Let's start there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, you talk about setting a scene. I mean, so many filmmakers and, and, and screenwriters, the hardest part about writing a movie is like getting the, the opening right, right? You know, setting the scene and establishing it without having to do exposition, without having to cheat and do the whole, you know, so, so but you're his brother and we're, they're getting married in two weeks and you just graduate from, I mean, you know, without having to do that kind of stuff. So to set it up with that beautiful silent shot, basically you got the pinball noises going off, the slow push, it's daytime. The guy's drinking in the dead. You're getting the sense of this dude. And, and then it gets called back throughout the movie. He's playing pinball again. And then he has a really good game of pinball, which yes. is play on court. And, right. And, and so yeah, now you have that, that runner coming through. But no, I mean, this was, yeah, this is, I actually watched this film back in, in college in a film class I took. And I hadn't seen it since, but deserving of all the accolades, uh, five-time Academy Award nomination. By the way, Paul Newman playing America's handsomest drunk. <laughs> uh, like... <laughs> this guy should have looked a little worse for the wear <laughs> after after a decade of uh, you know of boozing. But nevertheless, here he is um, down on his luck. You know he got framed for jury tampering. He's the he always trying to do the right thing, right? He's the ethical guy who kind of fell fell out after he was framed and thrown in jail and lost his job, divorced his wife. But here he is making a comeback, his last chance, and Mickey. Jack Warden, the great Jack Warden. I want to see when we get to Jack Warden and Milo O'Shea. Go ahead, Jack Warden. Mickey Morrissey is the character. Jack Warden, his old pal, who, you know, looking like he's got the pandemic hair going on. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jack, Jack looking a little bloated, sans mustache. I, w- I was wondering, while Jack's doing these scenes with Paul, he's sharing this scene with Paul Newman getting nominated for the Oscars. You, 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 ever, you ever think maybe 16 years later, I'm going to be opposite Artie Lang and Norm MacDonald in Dirty Work? I'm, I'm going to be playing, <laughs> in one of my final film roles, I'm going to be playing Pops McKenna, Artie Lang's dad. Do you ever think that crosses his mind? Here I go from Paul Newman to Artie Lang. <laughs> But so it goes. That show is. That show is unbelievable. I wish we could get Jack Ward to just pontificate about that circumstance. <laughs> um, he's so good in the movie. I love their one shot uh, when when it's just a static low camera and Newman's on the phone and Lumet had said, "Listen, I come from the theater. I don't like to be too busy with all the cuts. So sometimes I just let the camera go there, let the actors do their thing, and you save the close-ups for the big moments when Newman finally goes and meets the nurse. And there's that quick shot. You see the um, the fact he's got the airline ticket in his pocket. Yes, and he says, yeah. "Will you help me?" He goes, "That's why you save the close-ups. You see too many directors today. They're so busy with these constant cutting, extreme close-ups. No, no, you save the close-ups for the big moment when Newman gives the big speech." which you know is coming in this kind of a film, David versus Goliath. The camera starts wide and then slowly pushes in. That great camera movement when the verdict is actually rendered. I just love Lumet's directing. How about the reveal when you find that Newman's being screwed by Charlotte Rampling? It's all oh. James Mason, and then the camera pulls back to Rampling. Just such artistry from Lumet, the camera work specifically. Exactly. No, yeah, the long takes, the the, the slow pans. You know, I love, I love even just the large, the, the, the tracking shots, just from like rooftops or... You know, those street scenes when they've got like a few scenes where just long shots of, uh, of, of Mickey and, and, and Frank Alvin, Paul, Paul Newman and Jack Warden talking on the street in New York. And then you've got the even walking up to the apartment, the great shot, just yes. beautifully composed shots in Boston. Yeah, like Chestnut Hill area, wherever they are. But also a great the movie does a great job of, of really portraying just how unattractive the women of Boston are. <laughs> there is... Charlotte Rampling Rampling, love interest. Pretty much the only woman in the film. Um, I think the second strongest female character is like the extra walking behind (laughs) on the street outside the Sheraton. There's just a woman walking by in the street. That's there's there's not a whole lot of female presence in the movie, but um, no, it's between the direction and the act. I mean, yeah, I love the shot you're talking about when when Newman's on the phone. It's just it's probably like a four minute scene, and there are no cuts, and it's just beautifully done. Newman um, himself said he knew a bunch of alcoholics. That's where he got the banaca from. Because if you're always drinking, you got to make sure you have fresh breath. So he had the banaca, the eye drops, because of course, as a drunk, he'd have red eyes all the time. He said that scene where he's hyperventilating, he said that he actually read that a couple of alcoholics have said that to him, that sometimes you feel like you can't breathe. So there's one scene where Charlotte Rampling's putting pressure on him, saying, you know, we can't lose. He's like, just give me a second. And he almost locks himself in the bathroom. Like yeah. he's trembling with anxiety. Like, just leave me alone. I mean, you've never seen a frail, kind of fragile Paul Newman like that. And of course, the great David Mamet wrote the script. I love the script structure rags because it elevates and then deflates. The one scene where he goes back at Milo O'Shea and we're going to get into his hair in a second, but he goes at Milo O'Shea because I heard about you. You got disbarred. You, you know, you're, you're in the bag for them and you think, all right, fine. But then the next scene, boom, he's hit by the defendant saying like, how's it looking? So any moment that he looks like he's heroic, he gets brought down again. He literally is saying to Charlotte Rampling one scene like, I'm going to lose this case. Like this is one of those heroes you can root for and the structure is so good by Mamet. Um, Milo Shea's hair is unbelievable. How could this guy be a judge? How could anyone take him seriously when you see his hair? The hair's rising before we all do, you know, all rise. For- <laughs> How about yeah. the most controversial scene? If they redid the verdict today, 39th anniversary, you are not getting that scene. When he finds that he's been cut cold, he's been screwed by Charlotte Rampley, he goes in the bar and slugs her. I'm like, you watch it today, like, whoa, he just decked her. Like, man. Man, I am looking up this judge's hair right now. You guys were not lying about this guy's hair. 
<laughs> Gary Oldman's hair, those two huge buns on top of his head. How about that scene? He slugs Charlotte Rampling. Slugs Rampling. So I, I cued that scene up. I had my friend over last night, and I, I cued the scene up. She hadn't seen the movie, but I said, oh, this is, this is really beautiful. This is really romantic. Watch this. And I cued it up right to there. Because honestly, I mean, if you go into that scene without any context of what's going on, you know, he walks, and I think this is part of the direction too. This is the beauty of it. You know, he walks into the, uh, the restaurant. She stands up and kind of half smiles. He's looking at her kind of wistfully. And there's like this back, these cuts back and forth with their close-ups of their faces. And he just takes two steps and cold cocks her. I mean, that's a cold, that's a, that is a closed fist punch to the face. You know what I mean? I mean, th- I, I'll say this, Adnan. For a movie without any Boston accents, which disappointed me, that Paul Newman's fist has an accent. Oh, that that right fist has a Boston accent, and it says, "I'm punching all in Harvard Yard." How about James Mason, who comes across brilliantly, nominated for Best Supporting Actor? He's so haughty, he's so condescending, which is to say, he's so British. Bill Hader on SNL one time said that when he was doing his audition, he said to Lorne Michaels, I can really only do one great impression, and it's James Mason. But Lorne Michaels loved it. He did a great James Mason impression. I don't know if it was James Mason, the verdict, but I loved his performance. James Mason's got, uh, got, these are the actors that we don't have anymore, and this is why I love watching movies because the character actors are just non-pariah and uh when it comes down to it we don't we, we've kind of lost that that filmmaking i think uh, uh, you know you've got the indie ones i guess the, the, that come come through occasionally softy brothers with the great character actors but but man i want i want more of these types of actors couldn't agree more. Last thing I want to throw at you, the last scene, which is a great, great final scene. Mamet's original script had Milo Shea walking in saying, all rise, and that was it. And the producer said to him, are you kidding? We're going to have a movie <laughs> called The Verdict? I mean, you should might as well just put a question mark next to The Verdict. Mamet, <laughs> severely pissed off, storms out of the meeting furious, and the guy turns to Lamette goes, you got to give us an ending. You can't just end the movie like that. Like, I know this guy's this great Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, but let's go, give us an ending. So that final scene Lamette came up with, and... Um, Roger Ebert's review said this perfectly. Now, the question I'm going to ask you, is he actually drinking or not? Because it's a coffee cup, and Newman kind of holds it for a second. Like, it might be booze. might actually be a cup of coffee. It's in a coffee cup, but it's late at night. And Ebert thinks he is drinking. He said, Newman, still drinking, finds that if you wash it down with booze, victory tastes just like defeat. Great line from Roger Ebert. Do you mm. think Newman's still drinking at the end? Ooh, I hadn't considered that. Um... Yeah, I think, you know, the, the guy didn't go to AA in, in between the movie. So he's clearly still got his problem. And, uh, you know, we know he's sniveling. He's got the, another great moment, uh, uh, just a character touch is where he's kind of like, oh, he's sniffling. And he's got the, the hanky the whole movie. He's got the, he's got the post-nasal drip going. He's got the DTs in the beginning. Remember, he picks up the first shot and he's shaking. He can't get it down. But no, I think I think he's still drinking throughout. And yeah, you got to steal the nerves, the hair of the dog, the beer, the, the egg in the beer. He throws that egg in the oh. beer. I mean, how about the second time he runs out the the second time he runs out the bar? I don't know if you noticed. He just grabs a couple of raw eggs out of the bowl. Doesn't even <laughs> doesn't even put them in the beer. What's he gonna do with these eggs? Just crack them in the car and just. <laughs> but I I I do want to make one more point about 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 some of these touches. So Paul Newman brings Charlotte Rampling home right for the first time. By the way, by the way, the only woman in the bar he like just goes up to her and instantly hits on her. Just enters the bar, instantly hits on this random woman. Okay. It's like eight Irish guys just getting blasted. Paul yeah. Newman goes right after. Just going right for him, and then and then he and then he, then he finally gets her home, and she, they're making out, and then she looks over and sees that there's a picture of his ex-wife <laughs> facing the bed. Okay, right on the nightstand, facing the bed. And yet, 
the, if you if you listen carefully, they got divorced in 1970. Okay, when, when the when the when the opposition lawyers are going through, he says divorce 1970. This is 1982. That's 12 years of sleeping with your ex-wife's photo facing the bed, and you mean to tell me this is the first woman you brought back in 12 years? <laughs> no wonder he's an alcoholic. But again. The, the, the best looking drunk I've ever seen. And, you know, there, there's no reason why he couldn't, he couldn't get laid more often than he does. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there. It, that's a continuity flaw, in my opinion. That, that is an excellent point. Because he tries to give, like, this reproachful look like, you know, it's my ex. Sorry, I'll put it down. But you're right. 12 years. This is why the guy can't keep it together. <laughs> he kisses that picture goodnight. He kisses that photo goodnight. <laughs> oh, man, it's the best. So is Scott Rogowski. You can follow him on Twitter, at Scott Rogowski. Follow him on Instagram as well. Lots more Rags time is coming. Anything you want to close, Rags. This this was the best performance you've ever given us. You'll be back. Plenty more here on Cinephile. Anything you want to promote, floor is yours. I want to promote, uh, what's the next uh, Muslim holiday? Ramadan just wrapped up. <laughs> what do I have to look forward to, Adnan? What, what there, there's another Eid, so there's two Eids a year. So the next Eid is coming up in about a month or so. So you got okay. that Eid, you and Fatima. Yeah, me and Fatty on next Eid catch-ups. <laughs> no salami, just salam. That's yeah. Scott Rogowski. I haven't laughed that hard in a month. God, I mean, I really don't like David Sampson, but I got to be honest, he brought the heat. And Rags is one of my all-time favorite people. He's so funny. I mean, I always have to give Jamie Horowitz props because our baseball show, Change Up on the Zone, only lasted a year, but we had immediate chemistry. So I always give, Cody knows this as a producer, you had to put together people you think will be like-minded. From the first time I met him, I didn't stop laughing, and I'm still laughing all the time. And I like the fact you are also a big fan of Rags. That dude... I mean, I have not seen those movies you guys were talking about, and I was laughing the entire time. Like, that dude is just funny. That's it. Ugh. You gotta get you gotta get on Levitard sometime. I think Dan would like him. I mean, he's hysterical. I mean, oh God, he's just he's too good. Um, coming up next week on Cinephile, we're gonna talk with the Kaminsky Method. Season three is out. Michael Douglas. It's available on Netflix. Six episodes. Also, the 25th anniversary of Primal Fear. We give Cody grief for the movies he hasn't seen. Well, Primal Fear, pretty popular movie. Announced Edward Norton real arrival. I'd never seen it before. How about that? All I knew was there was a twist ending. And amazingly, in 2021, nobody ruined it for me. In 25 years. No one's ever told me the ending was. I knew something happens. Oh no. And I'm not going to spoil it for any of you either. I'm going to do a review next week. 25th anniversary of Primal Fear without spoiling it in case you're like me and have never actually seen it. Right now it's on HBO. It's in rotation. And we're also going to have the great Joe Tessitore, my good friend. You're burying the lead. That's best voice in television. I think. Tess is unbelievable. Great voice. Once again, Cinephile, uh, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. We had an awesome opening week. Ignore Samson when he said about the algorithm. I know we're going to crush. My thanks to Chris Cody and the entire team at Metal Arc Media. I'm Adnan Verk, and I'll see you at the movies.